Um, a couple of weeks ago, it was my wedding anniversary. Been married for 17 years, and we're having pancakes for brekkie. And uh, I've got two daughters, and and they uh, they were particularly interested in mummy's dress. Why was your dress like mummy? What was the ceremony like? And so um, we pulled out the the wedding video, and we sat on the lounge and watched the wedding video together. And um, I teared up. When um, it came to Sharon walking down down the aisle, and the girls were, you know, you know, tearing up, looking at me, tearing up. But then I got the giggles because I noticed this. Next slide. That's Tim. That's Deb, and that's Evie photo bombing the moment. <laughs> How's that? Right down the aisle. Thanks, please. Evie here. Is she? No. Anyway, I got the giggles with that. And um, so, so I was reminded just two weeks ago, we've been friends for uh, a long, long time, but uh, more than just, more than just uh, mates, we, we've actually been partnering together in gospel ministry for 20-plus years. And so it's good to be here today and to see, um, to see what the Lord's doing amongst um, his people up here at Coffs. And, um, yep, so I'm, I'm keen to be here, guys, keen to um, Teach from God's word. I'm praying that the Spirit will open your eyes to what's what's there, and that we'll leave here changed. We'll leave here responsive. And at um, at my church, we've actually been just going through this book Philippians, which we just heard a bit read, and uh, we just wound up. And when we got to chapter four, um, it talks it talks a lot about partnership in the gospel. So I thought that'd be a good uh, a good passage to come and uh, speak on today. So um, yeah, that's what we're gonna do. So let me do a bit of a thought experiment for you before we roll on. I want you to imagine that um, that I give you a magic wand, and I'm going to call it doesn't shoot fireballs, right? This is the, this I'm going to call this one the magic wand of contentment, right? And you get to wave the magic wand of contentment over your own life, over something that you think if that changed, then I'd be content. So think about your own situation. What would you what would you wave the wand of contentment over? Maybe if you, you'd wave it over your, your finances. You thought, man, if I could just kind of make some ground there, or if I got paid a bit more, I'd be more content. Or some of you struggling with your health and you'd wave it over your body and you'd go, man, if I could just be healthy again or strong or look prettier or be stronger or be less saggy, you know, I'd... Be more content. You know it's true. Um, like, or maybe you think, you know, I'd wave it over my relationships. I think if I could have like actually some deep friendships, or better, better friendships, or maybe a girlfriend or boyfriend or a, or a husband or a wife, or maybe I'd wave it over my marriage and um, have that go better, or just you know. A funner lifestyle, less of a grind, just more more fun, more more free time, more money to travel, just be spontaneous like I used to, better holidays. If you had the wand and you could wave it, what do you think would make you more content? Guys, we live we live in a culture where there are whole industries devoted to convincing us that if we, if we had more. Or if we could change our circumstances, then we'd be uh, more content. That's just what advertising's all about, isn't it? You're constantly bombarded with us, bombarded by it. And so, you know, the typical Aussie goes on the quest to, like, find contentment. And we spend lots of time and money chasing it. But it, it feels like this, I reckon. It just feels like being that, that hamster on one of those spinny wheel things. And, um, 
if you've, if you've chased it, you, you know it's tiring. It just seems like this relentless pursuit. Um, you can feel restless. You can, you can look at other people's lives and they look like they've got it together and so you can be jealous of what they've got going on or you can start resenting what you feel like God should be giving you but maybe he's holding out on you for something. You feel powerless to get it all sorted out and, um, you know, it's, it, no one likes being the hamster on the wheel. But Because here's the thing, if, if being content in this life is based on changing our circumstances and we basically have not much control over most of those, we don't have power over most of those, what are the odds of us ever getting there and being content? Well, today we're looking at um, Philippians chapter 4, and, and there's some great news in here, and here it is. It actually is possible to be content without changing your circumstances. Now, I reckon that sounds hard to believe. You're like, here we go. Sounds about as real as the magic wand. But um, in this passage, like, we're told that there's a secret to it. There's a secret to contentment, and you have to learn it. It's a secret that God wants you to know. That's why he's revealed it to us in Scripture. And, that, and so what I'm hoping today is that you actually hear that, you understand that, you, you put that into practice so that you do experience contentment in whatever circumstances you're in, whatever season you're in. But more than that, I hope that um, we walk away living for more than striving for contentment. Because life's not just about me and me being content. There's more, there's more going on. So crack open your Bibles um, to Philippians chapter 4. Um, and as you find that, that passage again, let me give you a little bit of context because we're at the end of the letter. This is, the Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. And that was in, in northern Greece. And he's basically writing them a thank you letter. Like 10 years ago, Paul had started the church there. And since then... He'd gone off and started other churches and been involved in other ministries. But since then, for the last 10 years, this church in Philippi had been supporting him as a missionary, as a church planter. They'd been praying for him, sending him money, even sending him people to encourage him. And um, they've just put together like a care package for, for Paul because he's in prison at the moment where he's writing from. They've sent, um, they've sent this guy to them. To, to Paul called Epaphroditus, he's one of, one of theirs, to go to Paul to look after his needs, to give him uh, some food, some medicine, some money. And so Paul is basically writing them back a thank you letter for their support. And, and he wants to encourage them to keep going, keep loving Jesus, keep growing in their faith. And in this last bit of the letter, he's thanking them for their gift and encouraging them um, to be two big things. And those two big things are to be, um, to be content in whatever circumstances that you find yourselves, and to be generous despite um, their poverty at a pretty poor church. And so he gives them some good reasons to pursue both those things, contentment and generosity. And so as we dig in, let's try and learn the secret of being content and ask that God will transform us so we're more generous like the Lord Jesus uh, to the benefit of others because life's not just about me seeking contentment. So uh, we'll jump in and look at the secret of being content. Uh, we'll pick it up at verse 10. It says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. 
I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. That sounds pretty good to me. Can you imagine being content whatever the circumstances, in any and every situation, like whatever's going on? Sounds impossible. It sounds impossible, right? But this is not written by someone whose life was always easy and whose circumstances were all lined up nice and neat. He, he, he's um, honest here. He says he knows what it's like to have plenty and to be well fed. He's, he knows what good times are like, but he's not actually in a good time at the moment. He's, he's in jail. He's facing a potential death sentence, and this is what he writes. And um, it's not only this jail experience that he's had. God's let heaps of heavy stuff happen to this guy. Listen to what he shared um, in a letter to another church, to the Corinthian church, um, about some of the stuff that God allowed to happen to him. He says, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That's like getting whipped. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers and bandits, my fellow Jews, from the Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city and in the country, at sea. I've been in danger from false believers. I've laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, this guy has known more hardship than probably all of us put together. In his, in his short life, and he reckons that he has learnt a secret that means he can say, even in circumstances like that, I can be content. Now, let me ask you, if God allowed those kind of circumstances to be your lot, do you think you'd be able to say, I'm content? Because who's to say God won't allow those things to come your way? Or heavier ones? Just because just you're a Christ follower doesn't mean that you're immune to heavy things that happen in this world. In fact, God says we should expect them. You know, we live in a fallen world. We live outside the garden. We should expect sickness, broken relationships, financial challenges, even persecution. Back in uh, Philippians chapter 1, he's already told this to the church he's writing to. He says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So God's never promised Christians like perfect circumstances, suffering and struggle. That's just normal for Christians who are seeking to live a Christ-honouring life. So here's the thing, brothers and sisters, if you're waiting for the day when all of your circumstances line up nice and neat, everything's great, you're going to be waiting a long time. It's not going to come. You'll be dead before it happens. Then everything will be sweet, right, in heaven. But between here and there, we're told it's actually possible to be content in the middle of whatever season we're in. And Paul says he's learnt the secret. 
And this secret is saying that he's learnt over a period of time through those hard times. And if God can teach it to him, he can teach it to us too. And the secret's right there in verse 13. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, if you're an underlining type person, just go for it. That's a cracker. It's beautiful. But, um, but it's also like, I reckon, a really misunderstood verse in the Bible. Because like, sometimes it get, gets used like a, some kind of inspirational slogan or G up to get you to attempt some amazing things. You know, I can do all things. I can do extraordinary things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, there's boxes and fighters who've got Philippians 4.13 tattooed across them. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, as if Jesus is going to help him beat up the other guy. Or like cheesy posters like this one. (laughs) I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Guys, that's, that's not what this verse is talking about. Um, it's, it's not some G-up verse to attempt crazy hard things. Um, he's not saying, you know, I can do anything. You know, he's not, it's not like I can, you know, think, oh, the Olympics, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I think I'm going for gold in the 100-metre sprint. I'm getting a tat. Can't go wrong. It's right there in the Word. Or I'm going to jump off my roof. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to jump off my roof and fly to coughs. Who can be bothered driving these days? I'm doing the Lord's work, surely, you know. Guys, this is not a licence to go do something silly. (laughs) What's he saying here? In the context, all this that he can do through Christ who strengthens him is to be content in any and every situation that God throws his way. Because it's not because of his own strength or power, but because God is enough for him. He's learnt that in the valleys. He's learnt that God is enough. He knows that if he's got Jesus, he can actually always be content because no circumstance can take Christ from him. Christ is ever present. Jesus is the one that he's actually living for. He's not living for contentment, happiness, trying to get all his circumstances lined up. Back in chapter 1, he's already told us what he's living for. He says to live is Christ, so to die is gain. He knows that's where life's found. It's found in Jesus, living for um, his glory, um, the extension of, of his kingdom. But he's not waiting for all his circumstances to be lined up perfectly. That's just never going to happen this side of heaven. So, so what he's learnt uh, from going through all those hard times, having Jesus with him, is that um, if he's got Jesus, Jesus is enough for him in that situation to remain faithful to God, to keep living for his glory. And he knows that Jesus can strengthen him to endure all those things. So he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. He's not some superhero, you know, he's very aware of his own weakness, but, he, but he's come to the point where he goes, I'm able to do whatever assignment God gives me um, with Jesus. Whatever assignment God gives me, I know Jesus is with me. Um, 
He loves me. He's got me. He's never letting me go. I know that my God is sovereign, whether I've got plenty or whether this is a season of being in need. And I'm going to trust that Jesus will strengthen me um, to be faithful in that. So that's where I'm going to find my contentment. Even in the midst of like circumstances and seasons that he'd never choose for himself. So that's the secret. And I want you to, I want you to kind of remember this. Right? With Jesus, I can do this. That's the secret. With Jesus, I can do this. With Jesus, I can cope with my financial situation and trust God to provide. With Jesus, I can do this. With Jesus, I can endure my sickness even though my body withers. With Jesus, I can do this. I trust him. I look forward to the resurrection body. But with Jesus, I can do this. With Jesus, I can endure caring for loved ones who are sick. Not in my own strength, but with Jesus, I can do this. With Jesus, I can stay faithful as a single person. With Jesus, I can stay faithful as a husband or as a wife. And even even in the midst of these very tough circumstances, I can find contentment. Because if I've got Jesus, he's sufficient. Now, um, he's he's not saying here, it's good good to be clear about this, he's not saying that it's wrong to pray that God would ever change your circumstances, right, to give you a better job so you can afford to pay your bills or to bring healing or to bring a friend into your life or to provide a husband or wife. It's, it's not wrong to pray for change of circumstance. Paul's just taught them how to do that. If you scroll back up to verse 6, he's been teaching them it's okay to ask God for things. Uh, chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Right, so it's okay to present your requests to God. It's okay to ask God to change your circumstances. But after you've done that, and if God in his wisdom and sovereignty has decided to not change your circumstances, you need to remember to pray that God would strengthen you to be faithful in the midst of them, knowing that Jesus is going to be enough for you in the midst of them. Are you with me? It's a hard secret to learn that. And Paul knew this um, from his own experience. He had what he, what he called um, in another letter to the Corinthians, a thorn in his flesh. He did not like what was going on for him. And he said this. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. All right, so... So it's okay to God to pray that you know, the Lord would change your circumstances, but if he doesn't, pray that he will strengthen you in those circumstances, knowing and trusting that you can even find a contentment there that you never thought you could. Do you believe that? Have you learnt that secret yet? Do you need to relearn it in your current season? Because you've only got two options, guys. Option one is the hamster wheel. You know, just pursue contentment and trying to have all your circumstances lined up sweet. But you know that even if even if somehow it all happens, you know, five in five minutes' time, something's going to turn to custom. You just—it's not going to last, right? So that, the hamster wheel's a dead end, guys. But the alternative number two is to pursue contentment 
through relationship with Jesus Christ, is to draw near to him in the midst of whatever you're going through. Pray, lean your full weight on him, and you will find that when you're beyond your own reserves, he will strengthen you. With Jesus, you can do this. I don't know what's going on for you at the moment. When you walk out the door, just remind yourself, with Jesus, I can do this. I can stay faithful to my God in this. And my prayer for Anchor Church or whether you guys find contentment in whatever circumstance you're in with Jesus. Right, so that's the first, that's the first chunk. Contentment in any and every situation, but you've got to learn the secret and the secret comes through hard times. Learn that. The second big lesson I want to dig into is the one about being generous. Right, and there's lots, uh, there's lots of blessings about being generous, uh, we're told here. So, you know, change gear. Verse 14, he says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Right, so this is the big thank you letter. Guys, thanks so much for being generous and your financial support over the last 10 years. Now, have you guys ever received, you know, an email or mail from a Christian organisation that you gave to saying, thank you? Thanks. It's nice to receive thanks, but, but really, what are they saying? Send more. That's, that's not what Paul is doing here because he goes on to say, guys, thank you, I'm amply supplied. That's why they didn't chuck his letter in the bin. <laughs> and that's why we get to read it today. They kept it. So this is good stuff. He says, I've, I've got everything I need. And um, he, just, he just wants to encourage them. Um, he loves their perspective on, on, on their money and... Um, He's, he's just, he's been on the receiving end. And, and it's like when you give, there's others who just are blessed, right? He's, he's not trying to milk it. He's just, thanks, guys. And, and I'll give five, uh, five things I just want to briefly kind of drill into before we wrap up um, in terms of serving God with our money. The, the first one is just to observe that um, the gospel makes people generous, right? When you meet the God who, who gives his son, when you, when, you, when you meet the God who gives his best to you and you understand what it costs, you can't help but want to be like Jesus and, 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 and sacrificially give to serve others. You just, if you've met Jesus, he makes you like him. He does that work in you. And so Christians just, you know, by nature should, should just be generous people. That's just... It's who we are. And, and the Philippians are like a cool example of this because they're actually a very poor church. But, but the, from the start when they became Christians, they were just keen to give. They just wanted to give. They wanted to um, advance the cause of the gospel. And so they wanted to uh, fund Paul as he travelled from town to town and started new churches. Um, uh, they even begged for the opportunity to, to give. They just, they just wanted to go for it. And so, and Paul, Paul knows what it's cost them to uh, live like that. So he just, he says, good on you guys. And um, he holds this church up as an example. Poor believers, but being generous. 
Um, I suppose to inspire us to be like that too, but in in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he, he writes this about this church. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. That's the Philippians. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That's, that's just what they were like. And um, the gospel just makes people generous. I've seen this um, as a pastor over the years, just when people become Christians, something, click, something changes for them. And I experienced this um, big time when we started the church in Foster 14 years ago. Before we moved up from Sydney to plant the church, I basically invited all the Christians I knew to come to a um, like a vision night where I was going to share the plan. Here's what we're going to try and have a crack at in um, Foster. Would you please um, come with us? Would you pray for us? Or would you support us financially as we try and do that? And uh, I, was, I was blown away because um, at the end of the night, there was one, one um, young fella, his name's Luke. Um, he, was, he was at uni, right? Uni student, poor, like broke. But he'd been saving um, with his part-time job and he'd saved up $3,000 so he could buy a car. And he says to me, I want to give you $3,000 so you can go start the church in Foster. And I'm like, you sure, man? He's like, yeah, I'll just scab the car off mum and dad for another three years. They'll be right. (laughs) Have a right. But I'm like, oh, what a sacrifice for a young man for the sake of souls in Foster who he's never met. Why would a kid do that? He's just met Jesus, right? And he wants others to know him too. One of my other friends, back in the day when, you know, checkbooks were still a thing, he wrote a check for just one of my mates for $10,000. And he said, you know, I'd love to cover the rent for a while for you guys. So, oh, what makes people do stuff like that? He's just met Jesus. And then I had some other mates who even still today, Every single month I've been in Foster for 14 years, they put money into the church account to help pay for my, my wage so I can do that. They're still going. have never even come to Foster. Why would they do that? And the gospel just makes people generous. Because if you've met Jesus, he, you want others to know him too and you understand that you came to know him through the sacrifice and you've been entrusted with everything you've got and so... Why not, why not see the gospel advance? Um, second thing is that gospel, gospel giving, it's, um, it, it is about partnership. Um, have, a, have a look at verse 14. He says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was there. And there's a, there's a little word there in verse 14 and 15, that word share, um, that, that comes from the same word as fellowship in the Bible. Sometimes gets translated as, as a partner, or you partnered with me. And the vibe of the whole thing is like, um, it's like shares in a company or partners in a company. It's like the family business. Like our father, church, our, our father is building his kingdom. That, that's the family business we're part of and we, we're shareholders. We, we share together. We, we shoulder the burden of the financial cost of the mission together, church to church, within church, but, the, but to also uh, fuel the broader work because that's just how Christian ministry gets paid for. 
Christians giving to the gospel, partnering together, fellowshipping together like that. And this is what he's talked about uh, with this church back in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. So that's the way their partnership in the gospel was expressed. Their fellowship in the gospel was expressed, not by having a cup of tea together after church. They could fellowship and partner together even though they're separated by a great distance because of the financial support and prayers. So thanks for partnering with me in the gospel for the last 10 years, he says. That's just freed me up to preach, teach, travel, start churches. Good on you. Now, God's mission today still needs partners in the mission, sharers in, in the cost. That's just, you know, just how Christian ministry gets funded. Now, when, when um, Coast AC got started 14 years ago, we were funded mainly by other, other Christians who didn't live in town and other partner churches. And they were very generous and faithful for many years. And it wouldn't have been possible without that. When it came time for us to employ a second staffer, um, there, was, there was one man who um, gave us a grant for like $90,000 over three years so we could kind of afford to take on our second staff member. Why would he do that? Anyway, when it was time for us to staff up again, he did the same thing. That is, that is incredible, isn't it? I don't, to my knowledge, he's never been to Foster. But he's a partner in, in the gospel. And so uh, right from the very start, we were aware as a church that we had been on the receiving end of this gospel partnership. So, so we wanted to be a church that partnered more broadly. So even though we couldn't pay our own way, from whatever money we raised locally from amongst us, we were determined to give to support a broader work. I wanted that to be part of um, the, just the ethos of our church. And so we started supporting a, a church up in Mackay, a church plant up there. And they're, um, they're, they're going great now. Um, we're still committed to supporting um, church plants. Uh, I did some maths the other day to, to share with um, my church, and I worked out that since 2017, so over the last six and a half years, um, our church, we're smaller than, probably smaller than Anchor Church and in a very low socioeconomic part of the coast, over the last six and a half years, those maniacs have given $150,000 toward church planting on the north coast. How cool is that? Um, and a lot of the, a big chunk of that was as we started a church in Taree, which is a costly um, exercise, but also in supporting um, Anchor Church to a, to a lesser degree. But we're still supporting you guys, um, and it's our joy. And that's just the way it should be. I haven't come here to ask for money. I just wanted to g you up and say it's great to be generous, right? It's good to be on the receiving end. How good is it? Um, let me show you a picture. Um, <clears throat> I've been um, yeah t- talking, some, t- talking to some of the other pastors in our network, and um, uh, basically 90% of Australians live in towns of 10,000 or more. So we figure that if we're going to have a good crack at reaching this nation, we at least need to establish good, solid ministries in towns of 10,000 or more, so they can then have a crack at reaching the surrounding towns. And so between uh, Foster and the, uh, the Queensland border, there are some key coastal towns, those larger regional centres that we would love to work out how to start new churches in. Um, that's my bucket list. That's it. That's, that's what I'm going to give myself to. 
in partnership with whoever will play. And um, I'd love to partner with you guys. It's going to take a ton of money. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's give. Um, you, you probably noticed that at Anchor there's, there's not a lot of big emotional appeals for money. I actually loved what Tim shared earlier about the, the kids giving. I promised this wasn't a setup. He didn't say, I'm going to do launch the kids giving box at the back, so you better do a money talk. Just there was none of that going on. But I loved, I loved that. What a great opportunity to grow your kids to be generous partners in the gospel. What a great opportunity to support a broader work as you guys keep growing here. You don't need to do big emotional giving appeals for Christians because generosity flows from understanding the gospel and meeting Jesus. So let me just ask, have you, have you guys jumped on board as generous partners in the mission yet? Are you generously funding gospel ministry here at Anchor and beyond? If you are, good on you. Keep it up. If you haven't started yet, mate, what's holding you back? If you, if you, if you feel like the giving thing is an issue for you, it, it actually may be that you have an issue with contentment. Because you might believe the lie that if you had more, you'd be more content. But if you know the truth that you could actually be content with less, that frees you up to what? Be more generous. Well, maybe it's not an issue with contentment. Maybe you just haven't understood the horror of unforgiveness and what people on our, on our coast are facing for eternity without Jesus. Do you, do you understand there's a day of reckoning coming for our friends and our family and they will be lost, damned. They'll face the wrath of a holy God. You wouldn't wish that on your enemy. Have you understood the horror that people are facing without Jesus? Let that move you to think, man, we've got, we got to get busy. We've got to get to work. It's going to cost money. Let's go. Let's give. Or maybe you think giving is going to be bad for you. Let me just speed up now. Um, we're told here that giving is actually a great investment. Look at verse 17. He says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. It's kind of a weird concept here, but, um, you know, when you, when you maybe give money to church or a missionary organisation or something, you look at your bank statement and it's like a, it's in red, it's a debit, it's a negative. But there's something going on here which talks about it in terms of a credit. It's just like credited to, to their account they're giving. So it's kind of like some spiritual superannuation thing going on. I don't really get it. I don't really get it. But, um, but one day there's going to be a reward for our sacrificial giving. And Jesus said the same kind of thing, you know. He says, don't store up yourselves um, treasures on earth, but um, treasure in heaven. You know, for where your heart is, there you, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Right? So... There's something about um, God. God sees God sees the sacrificial giving and considers it a credit to us somehow. And um, he's not he's not saying, guys, that if you give a hundred bucks, he'll give you a thousand bucks. Right? It's, 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 I'm not going there, but he will reward in some in some way. Maybe in this life in some way, but definitely in the life to come. And if it's the gracious Lord given the reward, it's going to be good. So. Um, Given, given's good for us. 
It's credit to us. Um, it's also part of our worship. You understand this? Look at verse 18. He says, I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That's all kind of, you know, Old Testament worship language, These this stuff of sacrifices and fragrant offerings and that, that sacrifice animals, burnt offerings. And um, the, the picture here is that the smell of like roast lamb, the, the, the lamb sacrifices goes up to God. It's pleasing to him. And I love the smell of roast lamb, right? And, and, and our giving kind of, our sacrificial giving to God is like, oh, I like that. I like that. Just part of our worship. It's costly, but it's pleasing to our God. I know some of us grew up thinking that worship was just about singing, but worship's an all of life um, response to the gospel. You know, we're to offer ourselves as living sacrifices now in view of God's mercy. And part of that is our giving. So we worship God just as much by giving as by as by as by singing. And God promises, um, lastly, to to meet the needs of generous givers. Look at verse nineteen. Here's his promise to them. He says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. It's a great verse, but I don't think this is actually a promise for everyone. Not 100% sure about this, but I think this is a promise for those who are giving generously and sacrificially, like the Philippian church have been doing, that they're poor, but they've been generous. And and I think Paul's wanting to assure them that um, even though they're redlining, God will meet their needs. And he's saying, just like you've been faithful in meeting my needs, God will be faithful in meeting your needs. And so if, if you are a generous partner in the gospel, you're giving sacrificially as part of your worship to God, um, you can trust that he will meet your needs. And part of the way he may do that is through the generosity of other Christians to you. So if you're given generously and you find yourself short of a buck, come talk to me. Ask a brother and sister. Let them know because it's how churches work. We've got each other's back. You don't have to go broke. God will provide you daily bread and you may even use the generosity of your brothers and sisters to compensate. Yep. So there you go, guys. That's um, a couple of lessons for you. Lessons in um, contentment and generosity. I hope you see how they go together. You're never going to learn how to be generous unless you've learned how to be content. So where does this need to land for you personally today? Do you need to learn the secret of being content? I can do this, said Jesus. Or do you need to learn to grow in generosity? No, that's just part of your worship. It's pleasing to God. It blesses those on the receiving end. And it it is used for the extension of God's uh, kingdom in his world for his glory. Where's it need to land for you? Don't walk out the door without working that out. Right, guys, I'm going to, do you mind if I pray for us? Tim's all right. I'll pray, I'll pray, yeah? Thanks. Well, God, thank you so much for sending uh, us Jesus, um, that incredible, indescribable gift of your son. Thank you that, you that he's given himself freely for us to redeem us and to make us yours. And thank you for your sweet promises that you never leave or forsake us, that your grace will be sufficient for us, and your strength is uh, available to us. We're so weak, Lord, in many of our situations. We cast ourselves on you. I pray particularly for those who are in a very hard season right now, that they'll have confidence that they can get through it with Jesus.
God, thank you for your generosity to us. Please help us to be like Jesus, generous for the, for the advance of the gospel and for the glory of your name. Amen.